Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is great to be here. It is a privilege to be here. Hey, really quick before we jump in, I would just want to welcome all of our first-time guests with us today, all across all of our campuses. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests today? Amen. Thank you for accepting someone's invitation to be here. Hopefully your experience thus far has been a good one. If you're not brand new, welcome back at all of our campuses. We're great, great to see you as well. We are in a series right now called Get a Grip. And what we said in the series is that when someone says that to you or you say that to somebody else, what we really mean is, man, you need to get that aspect of your life under control. Maybe it's your attitude, maybe it's your spending, maybe it's your consumption of alcohol or food or the amount of Netflix you're watching. We say, man, you need to get a grip on that. You're going to lose your health. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your marriage if you keep acting that way. And this series has been about the idea of self-control. And the Bible has a lot to say about self-control. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says this, better to be patient than powerful, better to have, say it with me, <clears throat> self-control than to conquer a city. Can you imagine that? It'd be pretty awesome to be able to conquer a city as a military leader, like lead an army and surround a city and take it over. I mean, at least that sounds cool to me. Um, but the Bible actually says it's better to control yourself than to be able to take a city. Why is that true? We've been saying this each and every week so far. It's true because a lack of self-control makes us vulnerable to all kinds of problems. If we lack self-control in our spending, we can get in all kinds of problems with debt, credit cards, people start calling, collections. I mean, there have been people who have committed suicide because of financial decisions that they've made. I mean, it, we get into all kinds of problems when we lose self-control. We can lose our, our health. People get sick because they're out of control with their diet. They're not taking care of their bodies. People lose their marriages because they're out of control uh, with, with, with some sort of sexual appetite. They can't bring that under control, and so they lose their marriage. The price is very, very high. I, I, like, I love Ben Franklin. He's one of my favorite characters from American history. Here's a picture of Ben. He's on the $100 bill. And he said something very insightful about self-control. Listen to what he wrote a long time ago. He said, educate your children to self-control. The habit of holding passion and prejudice and evil tendencies subject to an upright and reasoning will. And if you do that, watch what happens. You will have done much to abolish misery from their future and from crimes of society. What is he saying? He's saying, parents, listen, teach your children how to control themselves. They're going to save themselves personally a lot of misery. 
and they're going to save the police a lot of headaches, okay? They're, they're not going to have to arrest your kids for a lack of self-control. I mean, this is a big deal. In this series, we've been looking at characters in the Bible that have lost self-control. Week number one, we looked at Esau. Esau couldn't control his appetite, and he lost his birthright because he was hungry. Actually, he was hangry. <laughs> and then week number two, we looked at David. He couldn't control his sexual appetite, so he committed adultery with Bathsheba, sent his whole life into chaos. He ended up loses, losing two of his sons. Self-control is a big deal. Today, I want to look at another character in the Bible, kind of a big deal. His name was Moses. I like to call him Big Mo sometimes. One of the main characters in the Old Testament and uh, God tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, I got a job for you. I want you to lead my people out of 400 years of slavery. Kind of a big deal. And so Moses answers the call and sure enough, if you've read the book of Exodus, you know, 10 plagues, parting of the Red Sea, God moves in power and Moses leads the people out of Egypt. Well, then they're supposed to move into the promised land and on their way to the promised land, they come into this area called the wilderness of Zin, okay? And they're there and it, scholars tell us it's like over a million people and Moses is in charge and it's, it's very difficult. And this little area called the wilderness, wilderness of Zin doesn't have any water. So the people are thirsty and they, they actually turn on Moses and Aaron and they start to look at them and say, hey, why did you bring us out here, you know, to die in the wilderness? And you should have left us back in Egypt. At least back there we had food and water and now we're out here and you're the reason we're all gonna perish. And, and, and so Moses like, Man, I don't know what to do. So he goes and talks to God and with his brother Aaron and God tells him very simply, okay, I want you to take the, take the people over to this rock and I want you to speak to the rock and then water's gonna come out and everybody will have enough water to drink. Pretty simple instructions. Let's look at what Moses does. In Numbers chapter 20, then Moses and Aaron summoned the people to come over to gather by the rock. And then listen to this. Listen, you rebels, he shouts at them. Moses completely loses it. He loses all of his self-control. He is angry. He is exasperated. And he screams at the people, must we bring water from this rock for you? And then look what he does next. Then Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with the staff and water came out. Now, what did God tell him to do? God told him to do what? Speak to the rock, not strike the rock. And so look what happens in verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will, say it with me, not lead you will not lead them into the promised land that I am giving them. This is massive. Listen, Moses' job was to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. That was the purpose of his life. And because he loses self-control and because he yells at the people and strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock, God says, you will not fulfill the purpose of your life. How important is self-control? See, I believe metaphorically speaking, there is a promised land for you that you're supposed to get to in your life. I don't know what it is, but there's a, there's a space, there's a place that God's trying to bring you in your relationships, in your marriage, and self-control, or I should say it like this, a lack of self-control can stop you from getting there. See, evidently, 
Moses never dealt with his problem with anger. Do you remember what happened in Egypt when he first showed up? He got there and he's kind of looking around and he saw an Egyptian beating up one of his fellow Hebrews. Next day, what did he do? He looked this way and he looked that way and he killed that man out of his anger and he buried him in the sand. Wow. See, we've got to get a grip on our anger, on our spending, on our consumption of food or whatever it is that's driving it, our endless scrolling on Facebook or TikTok or whatever we're doing. And if we don't, it can cost us dearly. So what we've been doing in this series is talking about biblical strategies to build self-control. Week number one, we talked about surrender, surrendering to the leadership of the spirit. Self-control is actually not about control, it's about surrender. That was week one. Last week, we talked about purpose, how you have to have it, your eye on the prize. And if you don't have a goal out in front of you, a purpose out in front of you, you're not going to create and sustain self-control. I'm not going to re-preach those. You can go back and check it out on YouTube. Today, I want to talk to you about this third biblical strategy. I want to talk to you today about the power of habit. See, I believe with all my heart, if you're taking notes, self-control is built through habit. <clears throat> how many of you have <clears throat> a nasty habit? Just, just like a filthy habit, like a gross habit. Anybody? I've got a few. I, I want to share one with you. It's not the worst one, but it's pretty gross. Um, I have a bad habit of biting my nails. I do. I really do. It's just, I do it when I'm bored. I do it when I'm nervous. I do it when I need to do it. I do it when I don't need to do it. Um, but I, my fingers end up in my mouth and, and it's just, you know, it's just, I know, and, and it's, I know I shouldn't do it because the science is out there that, man, your hands are just dirty. Like when you're touching stuff, right? Your hands are filthy. And, but I, there I, there I go again. I mean, I did it all through COVID. Remember COVID? It's just, I, mean, I know it's still a thing. I understand it's still a thing, but when everybody's got these masks on, I'm like pulling off. I mean, it, you know. I just, it's just terrible. And I know, I know I should stop. But it's so enjoyable sometimes, especially when you really get a good one. It's like, oh, wow. It's nasty. It's nasty, you know. I try not to spit them on the floor. I know, but sometimes I do. Listen, you have a gross one too. You do. I remember when I was a high school pastor years ago, uh, I, we had one of these students who was hy hygienically challenged. Any, anybody know anybody like that? <laughs> And he would wear flip-flops to youth group and he would sit in the front row and uh, he would sit up there like this, you know, with his legs crossed, I can't even do it. And he would pick his toes. The whole time while I'm preaching. And I, you know, I'm like trying not to get distracted, you know, like. <sighs> Picking your toes is nasty. I know nobody in this crowd does that. Anybody pick their nose? Don't raise your hand. Don't, I know. I know you do. I know you do. It's okay. It's okay. Habits. 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 Habits are something else. Habits will make you or break you, right? Habits will bless you or curse you. They, 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 are, they can be good. They can be bad. I believe that self-control really is an issue of creating positive habits. Recently, there have been some fantastic books written on the idea of habits. I want to mention these because they're fantastic reads. If you like to read books and you're into personal growth, uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, excellent. He defines habit like this. He says, a habit is a behavior that starts as a choice and then becomes nearly an unconscious pattern. I like James Clear's definition a little bit better. He wrote this book called Atomic Habits. Fantastic read. Uh, James Clear defines habit like this. He says, a habit is a behavior that has become repeated 
often enough or enough times to become automatic. It's just things that we do over and over and over to where we're not even thinking, we just do it. Now, the Bible actually doesn't say anything about habits. It doesn't, well, I should say it like this. The Bible doesn't say, hey, you should do this habit or that habit. The word's not even in the Bible. But it does tell us that we should do things over and over and over. Let me give you two quick examples. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law or the scriptures of the Bible. It is my meditation. How often? All day long. There's like 17 other verses that tell us that we should meditate on God's word day and night, in the morning, in the evening, all day long. We're to repeatedly meditate on God's word. What about prayer? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing, pray without stopping. Always be praying. Let it be your habit that as you're going through your day, you're praying about everything. Is that a habit or not? What do you think? The Bible tells us to do things over and over and over. Do you know there was a Duke University study that showed that 40% of human behavior is habitual? 40%. You know, think about that. You're, you, how you get dressed in the morning, you drive in your car, and you know, do you drink coffee in the morning? All these different things that we do. And I'm very thankful for that. Could you, because could you imagine having to think about everything you had to do all day long? I mean, we would just get bogged down. So we, we are creatures of habit. It tickles me when someone comes up to me and says, oh man, Pastor, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. Like, that's unique. It's like, dude, we all are. I mean, in fact, in your notes, I wrote it like this. God made you to be a creature of habit. Like, that's how, you, that's how he put you together. Like, there's like a whole bunch of science on this now. Drew, Drew Dyke's book called Your Future Self Will Thank You, See, The Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. In his book, he explains how God has made our brains. He says that when a person is starting a new behavior, say, for example, like a five-year-old trying to tie their shoes or a 16-year-old trying to merge onto the highway, they're, they're the front, <laughs> what, is that funny? <laughs> the, the front of their brain, the prefrontal cortex is firing off because they don't know how to do it. So their brain's trying to figure out this new skill. But once you do it over and over and over again, guess what happens? The brain, that gray matter called the prefrontal cortex of your brain, it goes dark. And that behavior gets moved to the basal ganglia, which is a part of your brain that's deep inside of your brain. How do they know this stuff? I have no idea. But they know it. And that behavior gets gets sent to the other part of the brain to free up space in the, in the prefrontal cortex so that you can continue to learn new things. And in the book, Drew Dyke says it like this. He says, your brain is constantly seeking to turn behaviors into habits to save effort, to create space to learn something new. You say, well, how does this connect with self-control? You know, when it comes to things I need to get, get a grip on. Well, that's a great question. You see, when it comes to things we need to get a grip on, say, for example, getting in shape or losing weight or fixing your diet or, you know, reading your Bible or, or praying more, whatever it is you're trying to do less of or more of, we tend to think that willpower will work. Now, I love willpower. I wake up every day, I wake up every day and try to get as pumped up and as excited as I possibly can. I really, really do. I listen to podcasts. I read books. I read the Bible. And I was like trying to get juiced every day. But here's what I've realized about willpower, and all the science backs this up. Willpower doesn't work. Or I should say it like this. It works for a little while, and then it runs out. We tend to rely upon willpower, and we make a big mistake when we do that. Here's what Charles Duhigg said based on all the research. He said, willpower isn't just a skill, it's a muscle. 
Like the muscle in your arms and legs, it gets tired as it works harder. So there's less power left over for other things to do. Like it wears out, which is why you can do so good all day long. And then come 10 o'clock at night, you're like, okay, I can make it, I can do it. And, 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 but then the refrigerator's calling your name. And you know there's a pint of ice cream down there. And you, and you're just like, I'm so tired and I've done good all day. And then before you know it, you're walking over to the refrigerator and you're opening it up and you're starting. It's another reason why it's late at night and it's 10 o'clock and you're tired and your willpower muscles are exhausted. It's like, I know I should go to sleep, but I'm just going to do one more episode of Netflix. Just one more and then one more and then one more. And it's one o'clock in the morning. What are we doing? What's happened? Our willpower has run out. I believe this with all my heart. When it comes to self-control, habit is 10 times stronger than willpower. I believe that with all my heart. What we do is we tend to rely upon willpower instead of relying upon habit. John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping, he said that habits eat willpower for breakfast. I believe that with all my heart. What would happen if you developed a habit in all of the, a positive habit in all the areas where you struggle with self-control? What would happen if you took that approach? For example, if you have a problem with eating bad foods, what if you created a habit around eating good foods? Instead of saying, oh, I'm going to eat healthy this year. I'm going to eat healthy. Like first of the year, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to, instead of relying upon willpower to create an exercise routine that you know that you need three, four times a week, 30 minutes a day, you know you need that. All the science is in. Instead of saying, you know what, January 1st is here. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do it. Ah! Willpower. Instead of doing that, say, you know what, I'm going to create a habit where I'm working out three, four times a week for 30 minutes a day. That would change your life wouldn't it? Habits eat willpower for breakfast. They're 10 times stronger than willpower. What if you create a habit around not scrolling or not engaging in Facebook instead of saying, okay, I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to give it up. I know I don't. It, it's distraction. It causes me to be envious and jealous and nervous and all these other. I'm going to give it up. Just, just, just create a new habit of how to engage your cell phone or social media. We have to learn to rely upon habits. Recently, I did a 90-day physical fitness challenge with a friend of mine, and uh, it was actually his idea, because he said, I bet I can transform my body in 90 days better than you can. I said, you're on, let's do it. And initially, we started at $1,000 for the winner, and I was like, I'm not gonna take $1,000 from you. <laughs> I tried to be real, real humble about it. But I said, I'll take 500. <laughs> so. So we landed on 500, and so for 90 days, we engaged in this physical fitness challenge of who could transform their body better. And, and you know, was, I was doing like two a days, you know, working out in the morning, working out at night, and my wife was meal prepping for me. And, and you know what, the first thing I did, I went to a friend of mine who was a bodybuilding guy who won awards on stage, and I said, tell me your diet. I just wanna know what you eat in the morning, I wanna know what you eat midday, afternoon, evening, before you go to bed. And he told me his whole diet, this, to be honest, is terrible. I mean, really like chicken and more chicken and chicken and then a little bit of cod and some rice and some Greek yogurt. And it's just like egg whites all day long. Like not kidding, all day long. He said, you got to do about 40 grams of fat a day. Have you ever tried to eat 40 grams of fat in a day? It's like basically zero fat. 
And so I'm like, okay. So I start doing this diet thing and, and, and initially it's just like, ugh, you know, just uh, give me some food, you know, some, fri- some Doritos or some fried, something salty or tasty. It's all just bland, but blah, you know? But then, you know, as I got into the 90 days, I'm like, okay, this, you know, this is pretty good. Like I started to, 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 to crave chicken and rice and fish and maybe some shrimp or some, you know, some health, Greek yogurt. And like, and, and, and now, now, now that the 90 days is over, oh, by the way, I, I won. <laughs> so, I mean, I appreciate that. Um, I gave the money to my wife and, and she gave it right back to me for my birthday. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was fun. Um, where was I going with that? Here's where I was going. I now, now that the 90 days is over, you know what? You know what I, I'm still doing for the most part? Chicken and rice. And, you know, I even, I even make broccoli now. I like, I want broccoli. I, I never wanted broccoli in my life. And now I do because I got into the habit of eating Broccoli. Does that make sense? You see, habits are where we need to, le- are what we need to lean into and not willpower. What if you created habits around the areas where you struggle with self control? It could change your life. So, how do we create habits? How do we actually do it? Well, all the research is in right now that, that we need to know. I mean, all three of these books talk about something called the habit loop. And maybe you've seen it before. If you haven't, take a mental picture of this, of this screen right here. This is the habit loop. Now, this is just one example using sneakers and running and then the reward of finishing the run. Uh, but, you, but this explains every single habit that we have, whether it's a good habit or a bad habit. Here's how it works. A habit works with a trigger or a cue. And that trigger or cue moves us to a routine, which is the behavior, and then we get the reward of whatever it is, the, the endorphin rush or the feeling of accomplishment that you finished a run or you know, that, that, that runner's high that people talk about. Or it could be you know, smoking a cigarette. You, know, you, you see a person or it's, it's noon and usually have a cigarette after, after lunch and, and you, you have a cue, then you smoke a cigarette, and then you get the nicotine reward. So it works that way with all, with sugar, with, with everything, with, with sexual sin, it's just, it's just that way. What's, what's interesting is that in the center, there's this thing called a craving. And for this illustration, it's running, so runners would crave the endorphin rush from the run. But the craving is different, you know, for, for each particular habit. Without the craving in the center, then the cue doesn't work. You see some sneakers, you're like, I ain't, I don't care. <laughs> Those, that doesn't make me want to run. But if you crave the endorphin rush from a run, then you see those shoes or you see somebody out running on a Sunday and like, you're like, you want to run. Because you get that, that trigger or that urge, but it starts, starts with a craving. This explains why the, the store um, uh, Cinnabon, have you ever been to a Cinnabon in the mall? Have you ever wondered why Cinnabon is not in the food court? You ever see, you ever see this picture of Cinnabon? You ever wonder why it's not in the food? You, you, think about it. The food court has Chick-fil-A and pizza and Chinese food, a bunch of other stuff. Cinnabon is not in the food court. Let's go back to the, to the uh, habit loop. Here's why. Because they're relying upon the smell that they want to isolate in the hallway. They don't want any other smells to mix with that smell. And it's a powerful smell. In fact, some of you can smell it right now. <laughs> Can't you? 
You're like, man, I just, I want to go get one right now. I know, I know, it's powerful. This is how powerful the habit loop is. They put it in the hallway because they, they're counting on that smell to trigger you buying one and then you get the reward of the sugar rush and the taste and all the good stuff. This is how habits work. And if you and I are gonna tap into this, we gotta know how habits work. We gotta know how they actually function. And then as we understand how they function, we can manipulate this and develop different cravings and different cues. I remember when I was a young Christian, somebody explained to me that I needed to read the Bible in order to grow spiritually. And they showed me this passage of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And I was a newborn Christian, so the, this is what Peter's saying. Like newborn babies, spiritual babies, there's the word, crave, desire, pure spiritual milk, talking about the Bible, talking about scripture. Desire this book, crave it, why? So that you can grow up in your salvation, so that you can become like Christ, so you can grow in a relationship with God. So I read that and I'm like, man, I, I don't necessarily have a craving for the Bible. I don't like books in general. <laughs> Anybody like books? I mean, when, especially when you're like 19. I didn't like books, so I'm looking at this like, okay, I gotta crave this. So I start to develop and kind of force myself to want to desire the book and, and by, the, by the scriptures, I'm gonna grow in my salvation. You know what? I started doing it. I started reading it over. I started <laughs> eating it every day. I started getting into it. And then I started to develop this craving for what the word of God had to say. And you know, it's been years and years now that I never miss a day. I never miss I have this habit. You know what my cue is? My cue is the sun coming up and a cup of coffee. If I see the sun coming up and a cup of coffee, it's like, oh, give me the Bible. I want to read the Bible. Every single day. I wish I could say, I wish I could say I read the Bible every day because I love God. I mean, I do. I do love God. But I read the Bible every day because it's a habit. I do it unconsciously without thinking. I don't have to ask myself, ah, oh, do I feel like it today? Nope. I'm just going to do it. Why? Because I've got this habit and there's a craving inside of me to be in alignment with God. Does that make sense? So you've got to understand how the habit loop works and then tailor it to fit and create new habits in your life. Number two, start with a keystone habit. So number one, understand what a how a habit works. Number two, start with a keystone habit. A keystone habit, this idea, first of all, let me just say, this idea is, is, is revolutionary. It changed my whole way of thinking about uh, habits. A keystone habit, according to Charles Duhigg, is a habit that starts the process that over time transforms everything. All that means is it's the first domino. If you think of a row of dominoes, the keystone habit is the first domino that falls. And because that first domino fell, all of the other ha habits fall with it. Now that can be for negative or for positive. That can bless you or that can curse you. So what am I saying? Pick a really important keystone habit. For many people, keystone habit is working out. Here's why. They go do their workout, and since they've, they've worked out their muscles, they've worked up a sweat, now they're in this mode of healthy behavior, so then that typically rolls over to, I need to eat a healthy lunch because I just worked out, and if I eat a bad lunch, it's gonna negate the workout, and so I might as well eat healthy, so then they end up eating healthy, which is a habit. 
And then they end up thinking to themselves, well, you know, I, I should probably go to sleep on time because that's healthy too. And I need eight hours of sleep, seven hours of sleep. And so guess what? They start to have these other healthy habits because of the keystone habit of working out. A lot of people believe, and I believe this with all my heart as well, that reading the scriptures in the morning and have a personal devotional time is a keystone habit. It certainly is for me. I get that one habit done in the morning. By the time I'm done at six o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, I'm ready to do something else that's positive. My mind and heart are aligned with God and I've received instruction from him, some insight from him. What's the next really good positive thing I can do? Bless my wife, bless the staff, do some good work, whatever it is. That's a keystone habit. For a lot of families, a keystone habit is eating dinner together around a table, all together. Why? Because that one habit creates these other types of family habits of talking through issues and helping each other out and you know, working through the schedule. And that is, the, that is a keystone habit for a lot of families. Um, making your bed in the morning is a keystone habit. Did you know that? There's a whole book called Make Your Bed. It's written by some, some dude in the military. Um, and, and I actually tell my books out. But, but, but he says, and he makes the argument in the book that if you wake up and the first thing you do is to make your bed, you feel on top of the world. You feel in charge. You feel like you've put things in order. And guess what? You're ready to go now tackle the day and do some other really, really good things. Pick a keystone habit. And then number three, put in the time. And this is where we just don't want to do it. We just, we just want everything, you know, we're going to talk more about this next week, but we live in an instant gratification world. We want, we want to change our lives in an instant. We want to come to church on Sunday once a week, and we want our lives to change. It's not going to happen. I wish that could happen. It's not the way it works. This is a grind. This is going to take a lot of time. In fact, for years, I've heard people talk about, oh, it's 21 days to a new habit. And I've always kind of questioned that. I kind of believed it, kind of questioned it. 21 days to a brand new habit. Sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. Well, recently there's a, a new study that came out of the European Journal of Social Psychology. You know, the one that comes to your house. <laughs> and in that study, they, they produced real data on what it takes to automatize behavior. And they discovered that it's 66 days to create a habit that you can do without thinking, a behavior that's just unconscious. That makes more sense to me, 66 days. So if you're gonna leverage the power of habit, instead of looking at or relying on willpower, you and I have got to commit to two months of doing this behavior, this new habit every single day to gain self-control in your life. That's a long time. But let me ask you a question. Are you going to be here in 66 days? Do you plan on being here in 66 days? Do you plan on being alive in 66 days? Yes or no? I hope every hand is up. If you're going to be here in 66 days, right? Or maybe you do a 90-day challenge or a 75-day challenge. Some of you have probably heard of 75 hard, something like that. You could totally change your life in two months. You're going to be here anyway. Here's how I think about it, okay? Here's my psychology on this one. I'm going to be here anyway. I might as well pay the price for 66 days and be a different, be a better person anyway. I'm going to show up. I could show up, you know, having made progress in 66 days, or I could show up a little bit worse because I've got this problem with self-control in my life, whether it's a spending issue or a behavior issue or an anger issue or whatever it is. You're going to be here in 66 days? 
Yes or no? Yes. yes. So all of us should be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create a habit around this area where I struggle with self-control. And in 66 days, I am going to be different. I'm going to transform my life with God's help. So two questions. Where do you lack self-control? Write it down. Jot it down. Be clear on it. Is it spending? Is it scrolling? Is it talking to your spouse in a disrespectful way? You've gotten to the habit of just being lazy with your words. You talk down, you call names. You gotta fix that. You're gonna get divorced. So, oh, I'm not gonna get divorced. All I do is argue with him or argue with her. She's gonna look at you one day and say, I've had it. Just a matter of time. People don't put up with that stuff. Change that. Change that. Turn that, that, that derogatory, condescending language into encouraging, positive, uplifting words to your spouse. Like this is, I'm talking about real life stuff here. Where do you lack self-control? Do you gossip? Are you looking at pornography? Are you overspending? Are you drinking way too much alcohol, getting drunk? Like where do you need self-control? Is it your exercise? Is it your diet? Get serious about this. Change your life now. And then number two, what habit would help you gain victory in that area? Instead of getting motivated and excited, just rely upon the power of the habit loop and decide to create a craving, a new craving, and a cue, and a routine, new, new routine, and a new reward. One of the best things I did years ago uh, was develop this craving for uh, intimacy with God and a clean conscience and just having the presence of God in my life. It's, it's a real simple, I, somebody taught me that, that, you know, to do that when I was at Liberty and um, I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want. I, wa I want that. I want to feel God's presence. I want to feel close to him. I don't want to feel shame. I'm sick of shame. I don't want to feel guilt. I'm so tired of guilt. You know, you've got Jesus in your heart and you love him, but then you keep sinning and you have guilt and shame and it's just a mess. And I said, I don't want any more guilt. I don't want any more shame. I just want peace. I want a clean conscience. I want to, I want to feel, I want to, I got addicted to that closeness. Well, that craving drove me to create some habits to sustain that feeling. That's the work of creating new habits. And now I rely on those habits to sustain and meet those cravings and to experience the reward of having peace in your heart and living above shame and living above guilt. Does this make sense? You, you guys connecting the dots? What new habit do you need to create in your life? Moses. Let's go back to Moses. Moses was supposed to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And because he lost his temper and he struck the rock God said no Joshua's going to do it I cannot trust you to control your temper I don't want that for my life there's a promised land for me there is there's a promised land for you I don't know what it looks like but it's goodness and beauty and peace a great marriage great relationship with your kids, healthy finances. There's a promised land. But when we refuse to deal with what we need to deal with in here and refuse to develop self-control, 
We could block ourselves, cut ourselves off from experiencing the promised land. This is real stuff. I hope you'll take it seriously and you'll do the homework that you need to do and develop those habits. As we wrap up, a few moments ago, I said God created you to be a creature of habit. I believe that. We're all creatures of habit. 40% of our behavior is habitual. I also believe that God created you to be a creature of faith. It's the way he made you. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It is impossible to approach him, please him without faith. Anyone who wants to come close to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. What that means is that faith is necessary for you to approach God. You have to believe. Another word for faith is trust. You have to trust that he's there. I believe that faith can become a habit in our life where all through the day, you are without even thinking about it, trusting, praying, trusting, praying, faith, faith, all day long. I believe that's the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. And for some of you, faith is the way you gotta get into the game. Faith is the first step into a relationship with God. You heard our worship leaders say a few moments ago, you cannot earn God's favor. Like grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. You cannot come to church and earn, you know, read your Bible and earn God's favor. Like grace is received by faith. And you need to express faith in God. See, here's the situation. You were born into this world separated from God. It's not your fault. It's just what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's Adam and Eve blew it. They blew it. They sinned. That sin was transferred to you, your kids, and on down the line. And sin separates us from God. But that wasn't God's original plan. His original plan was to be in a relationship with you, to walk with you and talk with you and be, bring you a sense of peace and fulfillment and joy. But that got broken because of sin. Sin separates us from God. But God sent Jesus to this earth to die on a cross to wipe away our sin so that we could have fellowship. And you can't respond to that and say, oh, okay, so if Jesus died for me on the cross and he paid for my sin, what do I need to do to, 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 to get his forgiveness? Do I need to come to church? Do I need to earn it? No, you cannot earn it. It's a gift. It's free. You have to respond in faith. And faith is just reaching out to Jesus and saying, I believe that you died for me on the cross be my savior. I believe you came back from the dead to wipe away the penalty of sin and shame and guilt. And I put my trust in you today. It's expressing faith in God. And if you're ready to do that right now, if you feel like it, feel God moving in your heart or strangely drawn into this moment, I'm just gonna say a prayer. It's a prayer of faith. I'm gonna invite you. God invites you to step into this moment and trust him. At all of our campuses, if you're watching online, this moment is for you. Just bow your head and close your eyes and just express faith to him now. Ask Jesus to be your savior. Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin, to cancel the debt that I owed, to remove the penalty of sin. I ask you to to wash me clean, cleanse my heart. Forgive me of my sin and make me your child. 
I place my trust in you, my confidence, my hope. I place my faith in you. From this day forward, teach me to follow you, to love you, to obey you. Be my savior today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, all of our campuses, we want to celebrate with you. Amen. Let's give God praise today. When I prayed that prayer when I was about 18 years old, someone was kind enough to put a Bible in my hand and start teaching me to read it. We want to do that for you today. Inside this box, there is a Bible with a reading plan and the scriptures, some information about small groups, baptism, and a free gift in here for you as well. So if you put your faith in Christ today, text the word SAVE to 65248. You can grab one of these at the information desk at your campus. If you're watching online, give us a little bit more information. We'll put one in the mail for you. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. Without self-control, we are vulnerable to all kinds of problems. Let us develop it. Let us surrender. Let us keep purpose out in front of us and let us lean into the power of habit instead of willpower so we can gain self-control in our lives so that we can move into the promised land that God has for us, yes? Will you pray with me and then we'll be dismissed to our local teams. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to unpack this concept over four weeks. Give us the wisdom to put some of these principles into practice so that we can develop self-control in our lives, so that we can build walls around our heart to keep the enemies out that are trying to destroy us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. Love you, see you next week.